Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We're proud to be part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. I want to give a shout out to the network's book review crew. They are one of the sponsors of this special edition of Authors on the Air for the month of March. We are celebrating Women's History Month or Women's Her Story Month. Um, My guest tonight is Maddie Dalrymple. She is the author of the Lizzie Ballard thrillers, uh, Rock, Paper, Scissors, Snake and Ladders, and The Iron Ring, and also the Anne Kinnear suspense novels, The Sense of Death, uh, The Sense of Reckoning, and the Anne Kinnear suspense shorts, including Close These Eyes and Right in Water. Um, Maddie lives uh, with her three dogs and her husband in Chester, in Chester County, Pennsylvania, which is the setting for many of her books. And they also enjoy vacationing on Mount Desert Island in Maine, where that's a setting for another bunch of her books. And when she's in Sedona, she has set much of snakes and ladders in the iron ring there also i am thrilled to welcome for the first time to authors on the air mystery and suspense writer maddie dalrymple hi maddie welcome to authors on the air thank you pam thank you so much for having me on the show it's my pleasure um i i should mention also that you wrote a nonfiction book as well and um, I should have mentioned that because uh, your book called Taking the Short Tack, which is creating income and connecting with readers using short fiction, is a, a really unique book, especially because uh, short fiction is very, very popular these days. Um, so I, let's first talk about you generally. Um, was there a woman in your life who encouraged you to read and write? or someone who encouraged you to read, and then another one encouraged you to write? Well, I'd say that in terms of reading, a woman that was very important in my life is my mother. My mother was a big fan of Sherlock Holmes and especially the Rex Stout Neuro Wolf Mysteries. Wow. So I read a lot of those when I was little. I have to say that from a writing point of view, I was probably inspired more by my father, who was a short story writer and had some stories published in the 50s in magazines like Cosmopolitan and Collier's. And later he turned his attention to novels, and it turned out that he wasn't really as much a novel guy as he was a short story guy. But because of his model 
writing is something that I always wanted to do. And then throughout my life, many uh, female authors have helped me along in terms of providing moral support and practical support to become a writer. How wonderful. Um, did your dad write um, short fiction or short nonfiction? He wrote short fiction. Lovely. Lovely. I want to talk because we are, you know, we have 20 minutes to chat and I want to find out as much as I can about you. Um, where were you born? Oh, that is going back. So I was born in Beloit, Wisconsin, and moved away from Beloit when I was very young. And my family moved between Wisconsin and Birmingham, Alabama several times before I was in fourth grade. And then in fourth grade, we moved to York, Pennsylvania. And I've really spent the rest of my life in various parts of southeastern Pennsylvania, York, and then I went to college in Carlisle at Dickinson College. I moved to various locations around the Philadelphia area, and I tapped into all of those experiences in terms of the settings of my book. You had mentioned that a couple of my books, yeah. and specifically The Sense of Death and Rock, Paper, Scissors, are very, very much draw on the Philadelphia and Chester County area for their settings. Um, what did it mean to you to move so much vis-a-vis your storytelling? I think that probably an effect of moving so much and always having to be meeting new people was developing my love of reading. Reading was a great escape. If I was in a situation that was a bit uncomfortable, it was always great to pick up a book and dive into that world and feel comfortable there. So, yeah, I'd say that moving like that and having to adapt to many different environments probably fed into my love of reading. Um, When you were in college, did you study creative writing? I did. I was an English major. I uh, also took some creative writing classes. In fact, the first year I was there, they had a program called the Freshman Seminar, and they hosted freshman seminars on all sorts of really fun topics. And it was really an opportunity to get people who in high school hadn't been used to writing papers and doing college-level work, give them sort of a safe and fun environment in order to practice that. And the class I took was detective fiction, very appropriately. So, wow. Yeah, I studied uh, creatively. Yeah, it was a, a fun class to be able to enter the college experience with. Now, did that inform your your desire to write in suspense and thriller? It did. I enjoy those kinds of books myself and Although I didn't take creative writing classes for a long time after I left college, I did a lot of reading in the genre, and I think that sometimes reading is the best lesson for writing. I did, however, take a suspense writing class just shortly before I started work on my first novel with Mary Jones, who's a Philadelphia area writer who you may know, mm-hmm. and so that kind of focused me in on wanting to, to explore that genre. When you decided to sit down and write your first book, what was the most difficult thing you faced about writing? 
Well, the most difficult thing I faced with my first book, and actually this is true of several of the subsequent books as well, is that for almost every book, I've pictured a very specific scene, almost as if it was a movie. And I would play it through in my head. And for The Sense of Death, which was my first novel, the scene that I pictured was a scene where the main character, Anne Kinnear, is going to a house. And Anne is a woman who can sense spirits. And she has set up a business that's run by her brother that's a consulting business, and it's treated in a very professional way with uh, contracts, and she refers to her work as engagements and clients, and she's been hired by someone to go to a house to tell them if it's haunted or not. And when I was originally thinking about this, I was thinking of it as taking place in San Francisco. I visited my sister in San Francisco a lot Um, during that time, and I pictured it taking place in one of those beautiful old Victorian houses in San Francisco. And Anne Kinnear shows up at the house and can't even go in because, as the the reader knows, a murder has taken place there. So that scene took place maybe, you know, shortly into the, the novel, but certainly not at the very beginning. And so I would say that my biggest challenge for my first novel and for many of the subsequent novels has been that oftentimes I have this picture of the primary scene that I'm seeing very clearly in my head. And then I have to make up the story that makes sense to lead up to that scene and make up the story that makes sense leading away from that scene to a satisfying conclusion, which is quite a inefficient way of writing. And I'm trying to get away from that a bit. I'm trying to be a little more diligent about outlining because spending a lot of time doing all the rework that that approach required is not where I want my writing career to go. But it might be just your style of writing. Would it not be? I think it is, but I certainly don't object to trying out different approaches that may enable me to finish high quality books in a shorter period of time. I actually left my corporate gig last year, and I'm making a go of uh, doing writing, publishing, consulting, editing full-time, and so it's more important to me now that I have an efficient writing process, and I've actually found with the book I'm working on now, which is the third Anne Kinnear book, I'm trying to be much more diligent about having a very thorough outline before I get started, and I've already had one pass through that detailed outline by an editor, and I can already see it saving me loads of time where I would have gone way down a path that would prove not to be fruitful and nipping it in the bud when all you have to do is change an outline. You're not changing the hundreds of pages that you've labored over. uh, It's not only going to be a lot more efficient, but a lot less emotionally painful too. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I've, I've spoken to several writers who I've asked, you know, have you ever gotten like half the way through your book and said, oh, this is crap and I have to start all over again? And several have said, yes, that has happened. You know, that. so I guess, you know, some people say, swear they can't go by a detailed outline. Some say they just kind of storyboard a little bit and some don't do it at all. So I, I think that, you know, it's nice to hear that you're open to trying different ways to be not only efficient in your writing, but, um, you know, knowing exactly what's coming up. So my next question to you is, um, you picture a scene in your mind, and is that where you begin your outline? 
now I don't do that so much. Now I'm trying to picture the story as a whole more so than focusing so deeply on one particular scene, which I think is, um, is benefiting the story as a whole. I haven't really had the experience of getting halfway through something and thinking it's crap, but I have had the experience of getting halfway through something or sometimes all the way through something and then having a better idea and thinking, you know, I really owe it to the readers to go with what the better idea is and having to go back and do a lot of revision as a result of something that just seems like it will be a little more gripping or a little more interesting or a little more compelling. So in your, in your overall picture of the story, what role do your characters play? The characters are very important to me, and there's really nothing more fun for me than going, for example, to a book club meeting and listening to people talk about the characters as if they're real people. You know, talking about the relationships between the characters or things the characters should or shouldn't have done, and sometimes getting really sort of emotionally involved in it. And that's a lot of fun. And I also enjoy the series because it gives me the opportunity to look at relationships beyond just the protagonist, antagonist, villain, normal set of of relationships and have a chance to have some fun with really delving into the relationships between some of the secondary characters. So I love all my characters with maybe one or two exceptions. I even love the bad guys. <laughs> well, cause the bad guys aren't totally horribly bad unless they're psychopaths, but is there anything redeeming about your bad guys? There's always something redeeming about the get bad guys. I do have one character who really is a psychopath, and I had to make him totally bad for the purposes of the book. This is in The Iron Ring, which is the last book of the Lizzie Ballard right. trilogy. And there had to be someone who was so bad that he was kind of the ultimate test of Lizzie's decision about how to deal with him. I won't say more than that because it would be a spoiler. But – with all my other characters, all my other villains, there's always some redeeming quality. And in fact, I had a lot of fun with the last Lizzie Ballard book also because someone who was a villain in the first two books, who I think no reader would ever think they would ever feel sorry for, gets put in a position in the third book where you really do feel sorry for. Her. And so I wow. enjoyed walking that line between keeping her being a villain and yet you're thinking, oh, man, like even this person doesn't deserve this. So I want to talk to you right now about The Iron Ring. First of all, I love the titles of your books, and I adore the book covers. They really are well done. And so, you. you know, kudos to you for that. They're beautiful book covers. And to me, that's very, very important. Um, it will draw my eye and make me click by faster than anything else in the world, I have to tell you. Um, so you talk about Lizzie having a special, unique, I don't know if it's a power or, or just something about her. Is this the fact that she can sense death? Well, not so much for Lizzie. Both of my series, both the Anne Kinnear series and the Lizzie Ballard series, have a common theme of what happens when an extraordinary ability transforms an ordinary life. And in the case ah. of Anne Kinnear, it's no spoiler for me to say that her special ability is that she is able to communicate with dead people. 
The, okay. Lizzie has a similar special ability, but one that part of the first book, Rock, Paper, Scissors, is involved in her and her family understanding what it is because the first book starts when she's very young and then sort of jumps forward in time to when she's 16 and 17. But I really like the idea of you make life totally normal and then you just tweak one little part of it and see what happens. And I enjoyed that with the Ann Kinnear books. It's been a little bit hard knowing exactly who to promote them to because there is this spirit sensing ghostly aspect of it, but it's not super paranormal. And I have lots of reviews that say, oh, I don't usually read this kind of book, but I really like this one. So it's treated in a very matter of fact way and not as some people, as they say, a woo woo kind of way. Um, right, I understand. But in both of them, there's that theme of everything's normal except one thing. So, you know, but that doesn't naturally make it paranormal or supernatural. But sometimes in a book, the little unknown is really, really gives it the extra punch. Does, does that make sense? Well, I think it's a great way to explore questions that might be more difficult to explore other ways. So in the Ann Kinnear books, there's the subtext of she has an ability that she doesn't feel comfortable with. She sort of separates herself from other people because she's had these experiences through her life of people disbelieving that she has the ability to interact with dead people. Uh, they either think she's crazy or they think she's lying. And, you know, she's had enough of these experiences. She has a she breaks up with her boyfriend because he doesn't really believe she can do this. And so it gives a way of kind of comfortably examining the question of how do you deal with a situation where you're a, a bit unlike other people. And in Anne's case, early in the series, she responds by withdrawing, as opposed to Lizzie has this ability that should really keep her out of society entirely. But Lizzie is a very different person and she's very much wanting to connect with people and wanting to be out there and forming relationships and for everybody's good, including her, she really shouldn't be doing that. And that was another, it was sort of looking at the flip side of the scenario that Anne is facing, you know, Anne withdraws and Lizzie, oh, Anne withdraws and that causes certain problems and Lizzie goes out there and that causes certain other problems. Well, I just want you to know, I just ordered a sense of death on, on Kindle because <laughs> it looks so interesting for oh, me. Oh, great. So yeah, I and I like those kind of like you said woo woo. Thank you. I I don't agree that that is woo woo. Um, but but I I do want to read it, so I'm I'm pretty excited about it. And just for listeners, um, a sense of death is only two ninety nine on Kindle, so you cannot beat that with a stick. Um, <laughs> that's a good price for a book, especially <laughs> one that you know there are so many reviews on. Uh, so I'm absolutely, uh, you know, getting that one, and I'll and I'll write a review just for kicks and grins because I love it. I normally don't write reviews because I interview instead. But in the meantime, um, I want to ask you about uh, your nonfiction book. Um, tell me how that came mm -hmm. about, and um, and you know why. Well, that was tied to the fact that I did leave my corporate job last year, and I am a huge fan of 
Joanna Penn of the Creative Pens advice that if you want to make a living writing and publishing, then you really have to have multiple streams of income. And I really right. like the idea of having a nonfiction platform as well as a fiction platform. I had been writing and podcasting about publishing for a couple of years as the indie author, so I-N-D-Y, the indie author. And mm-hmm. then I had, had to sort of put that on the back burner um, for a time. But now I have had time to get back to it. And I had been working on sort of the magnum opus of um, of independent publishing advice. And I've been working on that for several years and really wasn't making a lot of progress. Simultaneously, I was trying to decide what to do with my Ankenir suspense shorts, which I had started mm-hmm. writing to sort of tie the Ankenir fans over while I was working on the Lizzie Ballard books. And I was listening to Mark Lefebvre's Dark Reflections on Writing and Publishing podcast, and Mark mentioned something about short fiction. And I'm a patron of his podcast, and I sent him a note saying, oh, that was really interesting. I'm trying to decide what to do with my short fiction. Would you mind doing a podcast episode about it? So he very obligingly did a podcast episode, which I think was called 10 Things You Can Do With Short Fiction, but actually ended up including 13 Things You Can Do With Short Fiction. And I wrote him back again, and I said, I think that this could be a book. Would you be interested in co-authoring it with me? And so we co-authored the book. It was a great experience for me because Mark has just a boatload of great background. He's the uh, director of business development at draft to digital He was the founder of the Kobo Writing Life author platform. Mm-hmm. And he is also much more experienced in the traditional short fiction world than I am. So we brought you know, two very different backgrounds, two very different perspectives to the book, which I think I think the content of the book really benefited from those different perspectives. And I really appreciated Mark's willingness to participate in that with me. I think it's great. I I like it. And I like the fact that you wrote specifically about short stories because the fact of the matter is short stories are very, very important and very difficult to write depending upon the length. You know, we're not talking novellas or anything short true short stories you know five to seven thousand words are difficult to write you're kind of encapsulating an entire book into like I say five to seven thousand words and I have our network has published an anthology of short stories um, in on our domestic violence awareness month and when we ask several writers to submit for us, they said, I can't do a short story. I don't know how to do it. I found that really interesting. And <laughs> I mean, some really excellent writers who say, I-, I don't even know where to begin on something like that. So kudos to you for kind of laying it out there and the importance of short stories. Um, I, for one, can read a book. I, I don't care if it's, you know, 800 pages long or 1200 pages. If it's a good book, I'll read it. I also appreciate that a lot of people don't have the time to read a big book like that. And so they want shorter pieces, whether it's novella or short story or a collection of short stories. So kudos to you for doing that. I, I'm, I'm, I'm very impressed by it. So um, the next question I have for you is when does your next, you're welcome. When does your next fiction book arrive? Well, I'm working on the third Ann Kinnear book now. Uh, That will be out 
sometime later this year, although I'm a little too early to give a more accurate date than that. I also have a manuscript that I worked on last year that is now making the rounds of agents. So I have no idea if that will ever see the light of day through a traditional publisher, but I did decide I wanted to explore that just as it's good to have several streams of income. I also think it's a good idea not to maybe put all your eggs in either the indie basket or the traditional basket. So I agree with you. Yeah, I'll be curious to see what happens to that. Wonderful. Will you tell everyone where they can find you on the web and where they can find you in social media, please? Sure. So if they want to find out more about my fiction work, they can go to mattydowernpole.com, and that's M-A-T-T-Y-D-A-L-R-Y-M-P-L-E, and they can get links to my social media there on Maddie Dowernpole on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And if they're interested in finding out about my nonfiction platform, they can go to theindieauthor.com, and that's indie with a Y, I-N-D-Y. And similarly, I'm the indie author on Facebook, Twitter, and on YouTube. Fantastic. Um, who would you like to give a sh- what woman would you like to give a shout out to that you think has made a remarkable contribution to your life, to r- women writers, or anybody else? Well, you know, I'm going to give a shout out to a couple of women, and then I'll just uh, sneak one guy in there, but I get together regularly with a group that we call Table 25 uh, because that's the table number we sit at at the restaurant where we meet, and it's uh, Lisa Reagan, who's the author of the Josie Quinn series, um, Jane Gorman, who is the author of the Adam Kaminsky series, and uh, Jane Kelly, who is the author of the Meg Daniel series, and then I also have to mention our, our male colleague who is James McCrone, who's the author of the Imogene Traeger series. And they have all just been such a huge boon to me in terms of both very practical support, plot brainstorming and things like that, and also just a great emotional support system. So kudos to Table 25. There you go. Uh, Listeners, this is Maddie Dalrymple. Her current book is called um, it's the Lizzie Ballard, Lizzie Ballard um, uh, book, sorry, and um, it is called The Iron Ring. I encourage you to go right now to, to Amazon and look at all her books on Kindle because they are very reasonably priced. Like I said, I just bought one, and I can't wait to dig into that sense of, sense of death, which is only two ninety nine, which is a steal. You can't find a book for any better price than that. Maddie, thank you so much for being my guest today. I've really enjoyed talking to you. And, uh, you know, maybe one day soon, are you still podcasting? I am. I'm I'm sorry, podcasting uh, every other week as the indie author. Fantastic. I love it. Okay, very good. So maybe I'll have you come back as a guest and you'll interview somebody you like. You know, come back as a guest host on my show. How's that? That would be fantastic. This has been so much fun, Pam. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for being with me. And readers and listeners, thank you also. I appreciate it. And thank you, Mom and Dad. I'll see you later.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.